Brian. Can everybody hear me well? We're good? Right on. Yeah, hey, if you fill out one of those connect cards, put them in the drop, put it in a tie box over there like Brian said. We'd love to be able to take you to coffee, get to know you, all that good stuff. So if you've never done that before, we ask that you would. We'd love to be able to connect with you. And uh, yeah, so today, man, thanks for joining us here at Clark's. This is awesome, huh? Man, yeah, Clark's is awesome. Hey, so by the way, we're also going to be here for our Christmas Eve service. And so we're going to set it up in here for our Christmas Eve service, have it all nice and winter wonderland-esque-ish, however you want to say that. And uh, it's going to be awesome. So, man, I hope you're having a good week. And if you're new here, uh, we want to say welcome. We're happy that you're here today. We hope that today is meaningful to you. That's our hope and our prayer. And for our family online, we say hi. You don't see it, but let's wave at them. Everybody's waving at you. We say hi to our family online. Thanks for even joining us there. Hey, we're continuing today in our sermon series uh, on emotionally healthy spirituality of becoming like Jesus. We've been in this sermon series for the fall of uh, the three goals of an apprentice is to one, be with Jesus, two, become like Jesus, and the three, do what Jesus did. So we went through the early, uh, late summer, early fall of uh, the practicals in the life of being with Jesus, and now here we are in our, the sixth week in our seven-week sermon series of Becoming Like Jesus. And where we get this from is in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I'll read that again. A disciple or an apprentice is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so just so you know that for us on this journey of emotionally healthy spirituality, the goal for you and for me is that we are in the process and on the journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And so today in week six of our seven week sermon series, we're looking at how we become more like Jesus through conflict. How do we become more like, how do we become more like Jesus through conflict? That, is everybody pumped about that one? You ready? That way you're like, oh gosh. By the way. If you see this new podium stand up here, I want to give a quick shout out. So the base of it was done by Mike at the brewery. You know, Mike with the big mustache, if you ever go over there. Yeah, Mike did that, the metal work. And then Kurt Lincoln's wood shop has a piece of walnut here on the top from Washington, I believe it is, that they repurposed and refinished and set it on top. So look at this, right? Woo! Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, let's see where we're at. Oh, yeah, conflict. Okay. It's pretty obvious that in our culture, in this today, in our world, uh, conflict is not in short supply. Would we agree on that? Conflict is not in short supply. There was a study done by Pollock Peace Building Systems that stated this in terms of conflict at work. Employees in the United States companies spend approximately 2.8 hours each week involved in conflict. 2.8 hours each week involved in conflict. Some of you are like, that's more for me than that. Uh, they go on to say 85% of employees experience some kind of conflict in some form or fashion. Pew Research study found that 9 out of 10 U.S. adults say that there are conflicts between people who support different political parties. I think that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit in our day and age. They said, similarly, 7 out of 10 Americans say there are conflict between people with different ethnic or racial backgrounds in the U.S. 
So the whole racial tension within the U.S. that we see, uh, seven, seven out of ten Americans say that there's conflicts there. On top of that, you can add to the conflict that can be experienced between people with, now, and I say this uh, lovingly, people with mask mandates, vaccine mandates, school policy mandates, jobs involving mandates, wherever you might find yourself at in one of those categories, well, first I want to say uh, we're all coming to the same table, which is the table where Jesus is at, right? And so we all want to love one another through that. But whatever you find yourself at, there's conflicts around all of those hot topics in our culture today. On top of that, you can add into the conflict experiences that we can experience with our friends or our family. Maybe a disagreement or an unspoken expectation or a miscommunication. There was one website that I found that said, that this is the title of the website, 75 Reasons for Conflict. 75, I don't know where they got 75 from, but that was, that was the title that they had. The point being is conflict is not in short supply. I know for me personally, just the other day, my wife and I, if I can be a little vulnerable with you, my wife and I had a disagreement about whether we should sleep in a full-size bed and be all close and cozy, or should we get a king-size bed and have our comfort in our space? As you can imagine... It was a life or death situation, what you would think. But conflict. This morning I want to ask the question of what does conflict look like in your life? How do you handle conflict when it comes your way? Maybe conflict at work with a co-worker. Conflict at home with your spouse. Conflict in the life group here at the Mustard Seed Church. I mean, how many of you would you agree we're not perfect people? So when you get perfect, imperfect people together, there tends to be or can be conflict. Maybe conflict with your child, conflict with your brother or sister. This is the question. If conflict is all around us, and we can, we, we can agree that we don't have a shortage of conflict, how do we become more like Jesus with the conflict in our own lives? How do we become more like Jesus with the conflict in our own lives? If you have your Bible or your phone, or you trust that I'm reading it and we'll have it on the screen anyway, you can, I'm going to give you a heads up, you can go to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to be verse 20 through 25. So what we want to do this morning is we want to look at the life of Jesus, and when we do, we see that uh, His life is not empty of conflict. The conflict that He had with religious leaders, with Judas who betrayed Him, with Peter who denied Him. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, man, if any, of that, if any of that was to happen to any of us today, uh, you know, we'd probably be talking about them to somebody else, right? Can you believe what so-and-so did? I can't believe she said that, right? Or he said that. We tend to keep our distance from people whenever there's conflict. We just offer a smile as we're passing, right? You ever, you ever felt that before? You're like, hey, and they're like... Right? And they just keep walking. That just weird, hey, I'm going to smile at you, but I'm going to keep moving. Or what is pretty common in our culture today, when we have, uh, what we have is we can post about it in a passive-aggressive manner on Facebook or Twitter. So to make sure that so-and-so reads our post. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he offers us something different. 
And we see this not only in the way he lives, but also in his teachings. In Matthew 5, one of the famous sermons of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. With conflict, we are called to be peacemakers. And to be a peacemaker means one thing. I just have one point this morning and then two subpoints underneath it. The first one is to be a peacemaker is we take humble action as peacemakers. And I worded that specifically for this reason. We take humble action as peacemakers. Now what does that mean we take humble action as peacemakers? The first subpoint is we take action as peacemakers by moving toward people. We take action as peacemakers by moving towards people. We see in the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 18, and we don't have it on the screen, so just listen to what I'm saying. Matthew 18, 15, he says, If your brother sins against you, here we go, go and tell him his fault, fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, is that if there is conflict between you and someone else, go to that person. Go to that person. We take humble action as peacemakers. And we see this practice of taking action as a peacemaker in the life of Jesus. In Matthew 26, if you're already there, we're going to have it on the screen. But this is the story that we're going to be in today. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, to him, one after another, isn't I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, isn't I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Many New Testament scholars believe that in this passage, Jesus is doing two things. One, he's going to the source of conflict. If you catch that, one, he's going to the source of conflict. He's going to Judas in this upper room setting with all of the other disciples. And then two, he's creating space for forgiveness. He was creating space between him and Judas for Judas, Judas to repent and that there be forgiveness for Judas to turn from the direction that he was going. The tendency that you and I can have with someone when there's conflict is rather going to the person we actually withdraw from the person. You ever felt that in your life before? Conflict between somebody else and they withdraw from you or you withdraw from them. In an article of Psychology Today, they state this. Avoiding conflict is a strategy that some employ to deal with stressful situations. There is prudence in binding one's tongue or walking away from some situations. However, as a pervasive strategy, it can lead to problems, particularly if the situation is serious. Avoidance may have the unintended consequences of appearing to the other individual that their concerns are irrelevant or trivial. It may also imply to the other individual that there is a lack of investment in the relationship. This approach can also affect the closeness and satisfaction of the relationship for both parties. 
This is the effect, this is what happens when we have conflict someone with someone and we withdraw from that relationship. We withdraw from the conflict. We're called to take humble action as peacemakers. And again, it reminds me of my wife and I with the, whatever my situation that may be happening, this is usually how it happens in our household. I will uh, distance myself and be introverted and go inside. We have any introverts in here? Introverts unite. Amen. Right on. Okay. I'll go introverted and come to myself and I'll distance myself. And what she will do in her matureness of an adult is she will actually come to me and she'll say, is everything okay? Is everything all right? Are things good between you and I? Right? She's taking humble action as a peacemaker because there's something I'm withdrawing from the relationship. And it just turns out 95% of the time I'm hangry. Okay? If, and hangry is like a real thing. Not, once I get something to eat, then we're like, we're good. You know? But even in Durango, when I was church planning in Durango with DJ, he was the senior pastor, I was the assistant pastor. And a lot of times, him and I would disagree we wouldn't, dis- we, wait, we wouldn't agree on some things. And there would be this tension between us to where like an answer might be short or I just am avoiding him or he's avoiding me. And all the time for four years, the rhythm of DJ and I, we would go to one another and we would say, hey, I could be wrong, but when I said this, you said that, and it just made me feel like there's something between us. Are we good? Are we good? Constantly having to do that to preserve the relationship, to take humble action as peacemakers, we move toward people. That's the first subpoint. We move toward people. The second subpoint is we take action in peacemaking by speaking the truth. We take action in peacemaking by speaking the truth. In Matthew 26, catch what Jesus says here. He says, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Is that not truth speaking? He's not tiptoeing around it. He's not trying to be shy about it. He says, truly, truly, I'm here to tell you that one of you will betray me. And this is the tension that we can have is because for most of us as followers of Jesus, we think that in order to keep peace, And in order to make things right, we have to be silent. We have to be silent. We we don't say anything. If someone hurts us, offends us, speaks ill of us, disagrees with us, we be silent so that we can be peacemakers. The problem with that is this. Is that if we don't take action and speak in truth, we are false peacemakers. We are living out of a false peace. I want to read to you a couple of scenarios from this emotionally healthy spirituality that he gives examples of false peace. Let me see if any of those relate to you and where you're at. The first one is, Carl is upset about the behavior of his spouse who currently comes home, who constantly comes home late after work. He says nothing. Why? He thinks he's being Christ-like by not saying anything, although he does give her a cold shoulder. He's a false peacemaker. Pam disagrees with her co-workers at lunch when they slander her boss. She's afraid to speak up. She goes alone. I don't want to kill the atmosphere by speaking up and disagreeing, she thinks. 
She's a false peacemaker. Bob goes to dinner with 10 people. He is tight financially, so he orders only a salad and an appetizer. Meanwhile, the other nine order appetizers, steak, wine, and dessert. When the bill comes, someone says, let's divide up the bill equally. It will take forever to figure it out. Everyone agrees, and Bob is dying on the inside, but won't say anything. He's a false peacemaker. How many of you would have said something? I would have said something. Wait, nah, I'm not splitting that up. All I got was a Dr. Pepper. We're not doing that, you know? <laughs> Yolanda is engaged. She would like more time to rethink her decision, but is afraid that her fiancé and his family will get angry. She goes through with the wedding. She's a false peacemaker. Ellen loves her parents. They are both quite critical about how she raises her children. Each holiday is filled with tension. Ellen doesn't say anything because she doesn't want to hurt their feelings. She's a false peacemaker. When we uh, are silent to keep the peace, we're actually not really keeping the peace. There's false peace within us. And there's false peace within the room, within the relationships. When we take humble action as peacemakers, we have to be able to speak the truth. And this is what Jesus says in this scenario in Matthew 26. He says, truly I tell you, someone here, someone here will betray me. He's speaking the truth into the situation. We have to take humble action as peacemakers. And we say humble action. I want to preface this by saying, yes, we move towards people when there's conflict. Yes, we speak truthfully when there's conflict. Yes, we do it humbly. I can't have any of you leaving from here, going to your co-worker, and Wayne said, I need to go to this person, and I need to speak the truth. So this is how you're messing up. You get what I'm saying? Right? Don't, don't put that on me. I said humbly. We humbly do this. Which means that we don't approach them as though uh, they're wrong and we're right. We don't approach as though we're going to teach them a lesson. We approach, as scripture says, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We approach from a position of wanting to honor the other person. Or as Paul says, that we would count others more significant than ourselves. That's how we approach. We come in humbly to any situation that there is conflict. And this reminds me, growing up when I was in Louisiana, a, a friend of mine who lived down the street let me use his bass fishing rig up, his rod and his tackle and all this stuff. And uh, bass fishing is really big down there. Up here, it's really flat fishing, you know. So I had a bass boat and I had this rod and reel and all this tackle and he let me use his rod and uh, I go fishing with him and I come back home and it's in the boat and I told him, hey, it's Saturday, I'll bring it to you on Monday and uh, something happened in the mix up to where I wasn't able to get it to him Monday morning, I had to get it to him Monday evening, but I come home and this is what I find. All of the stuff on my boat is thrown open and there's uh, tracks down my carport and driveway of him just burning rubber. Just peeling out all, all the way down the driveway. And I was like, what in the world? And I realized he's upset at me. <laughs> because I didn't get it to him Monday morning rather than I got it to him Monday afternoon. Well, rather he came and picked it up. 
So in my frustration of him doing that to my fishing boat and throwing everything open and peeling out down my driveway, I, there was something in me that wanted to call him up and say, man, who do you think you are? Right? I was going to get it to you. I said I was. Why you got to treat my stuff like this? But rather, I felt the Lord tell me, be a peacemaker. Own what you need to own. You didn't get it to him. And give him space to own what he needs to own. And so I called him up and I said, hey man, I seen you came here. You threw up on all my stuff. You peeled out down my driveway. I just want to let you know, man, I apologize for uh, not getting the fishing pole to you on time. And also, man, I forgive you for coming here and peeling out down my driveway. And maybe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but I forgive you as well. You know, and he was like, forgive me for what? I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> you know, but I just, I'm like, hey, I just want to say what I, for what I did, for what it's worth, I apologize. I should have got it to you on time. He hangs up the phone on me and a couple of days go by and he calls me back. He's like, hey man, I apologize too for peeling out down your driveway and throwing open your bass boat and all this stuff, you know. But this is what I realized. This is why the Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. Because if we come into it not humbly, if we come into it wanting to take action and wanting to speak the truth, then we, we have potential to ruin the relationship. But when we come in humbly and we own what we own, and we create space for them to own what they own, it preserves the relationship. And so then you might be asking, Wayne, how does this help us to become more like Jesus? Handling conflict like this. Well, when you look at the life of Jesus, he saw people for who they were. Men and women, sons and daughters made in the image of God. And they have value and worth. And even to the Pharisees, he kept going over and over to the Pharisees, even though there was conflict, over and over again. And when we take this posture ourselves, we come like Jesus in how we handle conflict. It allows us to love people well in our lives. And also, it's very missional. It's very missional when we say, hey, on behalf of the kingdom, I want to mend this relationship between me and you and the conflict and how we handle that. And so we take humble action as peacemakers, becoming like Jesus. So as we close, a couple of things I want to highlight to you. We're going to take communion this morning. If we can have the worship team come up. A couple of things I want to highlight to, you, to ask you this morning is, the first question is, who might God might be highlighted to you to bring about some conflict resolution? Who might God might be highlighting to you this morning you saying, you know what, man, I really need to go to that person and help bring about some conflict resolution? Who might that be? Or at least take this right, the steps in the right direction. This is the reality of it, is that not every conflict is going to be worked out. Can you agree with me on that? Not every conflict, you're not, getting, not every conflict is going to be worked out all nice and smooth. It takes two. But if we, come, if we become more like Jesus, and we handle the conflict the way He did, oh, grace. 
we become more like Jesus and we handle the conflict the way he did, that means we move towards people, we speak truthfully, and we do it lovingly and humbly. And in the process, we become more and more like Him. It's actually a form of, can I tell you this? It's actually a form of dying to yourself. You ever have yourself be like, man, I'm going to take vengeance. I'm going to tell that person what I think. They're going to hear it from me. To actually die to ourselves and say, Jesus, how can I handle this the way you would? So in the becoming more like Jesus process, when it comes to conflict, we become more and more like Him, we die to ourselves. And this is why John the Baptist says, at first, I must de decrease and He must increase. I don't know about you, but I want more of an increase of the life of Jesus in my life. Amen?